up uh, the screen here and uh, we will begin here. We're at lesson three this evening. Um, and I'm going to shut this down a little bit there. And did you make your pointer paper? Oh yeah. I guess I'm going to have to uh, wait a minute here. Oh, okay. And let me do that. System preferences. Or was that under? <laughs> Cursor is all I know. <laughs> oh, I should have remembered where that was at. I uh, to remind you. Yeah, that was under. Uh, uh, I think accessibility. Yes, I believe that's right. Uh, pointer, and I say pointer control. Was it pointer control? I see. What was it? Uh, no, it wasn't that. I should have <laughs> found. I should have had this before, but it was good, wasn't it? When I when I had. Oh, there it is. Cursor. Okay, let's move this cursor up where folks can see this cursor, and then we will begin. All right, so um, we had an introduction to our class, and uh, we, um, we're looking at the first section of our study, and that's the history. And that's the history of the speakers. I just wanted to see it. Yeah. And you mute them, Pansy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we're looking at the history of the intertestamental period. Uh, the first thing, and then we'll look at other things, cultural things, uh, and then we'll look at the literature of the intertestamental period. I think that'll be interesting. And uh, we started just going back to get our context. We talked about the kingdom of Israel under David and Solomon. And then we talked about uh, how the kingdom was divided um, in uh, 930 uh, between uh, the north and the south, that is Israel and Judah. And uh, that lasted till 586 ultimately for the south. But we had a series of captivities um, the first one, the Assyrian captivity in 722 BC, and here's that chart we had of the various captivities. The Assyrian took the northern tribes captive, then the Babylonian ended up taking uh, Judah, the southern tribes, and the Persian Empire, the return, and then the Macedonian Empire of Alexander the Great, and then we were just getting down to the Jewish independence, the Maccabean revolt last time, and then we'll get to the Roman period. So the Babylonian captivity, um, there were three uh, captivities, 605, Daniel and his friends, 597, 586, Jerusalem's destroyed, and Judas carried off into captivity. Um, then there is the Persian period uh, the rise of Cyrus the Great, and uh, here's the extent of the Persian Empire uh, under uh, Cyrus and Cambyses, eventually taking, taking Egypt. And uh, the 
exiles from Judah returned under uh, uh, Ezra and uh, I mean under Zerubbabel, Ezra and Nehemiah. We had a chart there in our notes last time about these three returns in 538, 454, 445. And that period of Nehemiah, 445, and then a few years later, the Old Testament closes around 420, 400 BC, and that's the end of the Old Testament revelation. Um, then we have the Grecian period, 330 to 143, and that's the conquest, of course, of Alexander the Great. Um, and he conquered the most of the, the ancient world, including Egypt. Uh, he didn't meet a lot of resistance in some places, but he did, uh, of course, defeat the Persians. That was the Persian Empire was his major opposition. And uh, before this time, you remember in the Persian Empire and the Babylonian Empire, the sort of lingua franca, the universal language, trade language, was uh, Aramaic. And in captivity in Babylon, the Jews picked up Aramaic, brought that back with them to Israel. And that tended to be a, a, a very strong spoken language all the way through the New Testament period. But Alexander comes on the scene and he spreads Greek culture and Greek language, and he's determined to do it. He thinks this is the best culture. Uh, the, and so he's spreading Hellenism, uh, the word Hellene, Hellene is the Greek word for Greek. So he spreads Hellenism or a Hellenistic culture. And uh, this is Greek philosophy, Greek culture, Greek language, Greek gods, Greek ways of thinking and so forth. And uh, so he conquers, of course, uh, Palestine and they come under his control. Israel does, Israel, Judah. Uh, the, the returnees, and after his um, after his um, death, uh, four of his generals mainly vie for control of his empire, uh, and um, Palestine or, or Israel, Judah. Uh, we're concerned with two of his generals, Ptolemy and Seleucus. And so after uh, Alexander's death, uh, the green here is the uh, Seleucid Empire. Seleucus was one of uh, Alexander's generals. And then the Ptolemy, Ptolemy is down here in Egypt. And at first, uh, Egypt comes under Ptolemaic rule. Uh, 323 to 198 BC. Um, and so the Ptolemies are here in Egypt. Seleucids are here. The Seleucids th think they should have this area and they fight. They're always fighting here. So there's constant battles between the Ptolemies and the Seleucids. But the Seleucids uh, are the first to rule this particular area. And so uh, we talked last time about Seleucid rule here. Uh, and the first period we talked about was Seleucid, 
control. And the Seleucids uh, controlled uh, all the area we talked about, and that includes, of course, Palestine here down towards Egypt. But the Ptolemies, and he, I mean the, I'm sorry, the, the, the uh, I'm sorry, the, uh, got ahead of myself here. The, this, the, uh, the uh, Seleucids gained control in 198. Sorry, I kind of jumped ahead there. There was the uh, Ptolemies here, but then the Seleucids ultimately in 198 uh, took control. And so now we have the Seleucids in control in uh, 198 BC. And uh, even though Egypt, the Ptolemies are still unhappy and they're still fighting back and forth. Uh, the Jews fared pretty well under the Ptolemies in Egypt. They didn't impose too many restrictions on the Jews. They were allowed to carry out their religion. They had to pay taxes. But the Seleucids, if you remember, they were determined to Hellenize this area, to spread Greek language and culture and sort of wipe out other religions, wipe out uh, Judaism really as a religion and make people conform to Hellenistic ways of thinking. And uh, so they did. They, uh, during this period, uh, 198 to 168, they tried to force the Jews to adopt Hellenistic thinking, and many did. And so you have a, Jew, a division among Jews in Palestine about how modern they want to be, how, how, how much they want to give up these Old Testament requirements and develop Greek thinking and Greek ideas. And uh, we came down last time to one particular ruler, Antiochus III, uh, uh, Antiochus IV, uh, Antiochus III first, um, who tried to uh, really Hellenize this area. And then his son, Antiochus IV, and we talked about this scene uh, last time where uh, Antiochus is, is, the Seleucids are attempting to take Egypt too. They want to control that. They're controlling Palestine now since uh, 160, uh, since 198, but they want to, they want, they'd like to have Egypt too and overrun the Ptolemies. And so Antiochus decides that he is going to attack, Antiochus IV, he's going to attack Egypt. And uh, when he does that, the Romans come in, they send, remember, this elderly representative, this elderly ambassador over to Alexandria here, and they draw, this ambassador draws a circle around Antiochus and says, don't leave this circle until you promise to leave Egypt. And he does, because he's afraid of the Romans. They're very powerful. They're gaining power in the area. And so he comes back and he's determined to start a cultic Hellenization of, of, of Palestine. He's gonna wipe out the Jewish religion. They forbid all Jewish ceremonies, Jewish sacrifices, forbid circumcision. Um, he's offering, uh, he, he puts, uh, he offering, offering pagan sacrifices in the temple, swine flesh in the temple, uh, forbidding circumcision, forbidding copy for Jews from having copies of the law. That's a death penalty uh, transgression if you own a copy of the Torah. So he's trying to eliminate Judaism altogether. 
And that's what leads ultimately to the Maccabean Revolt, 167 to 143. Um, I say here, uh, this it starts with Mattathias. We'll get to the name Maccabean in a moment here, but uh, start with Mattathias, 167, 166. Uh, I say here, every village in Palestine was ordered to set up its heathen altar. And imperial delegates, that is from the Seleucid dynasty, Antiochus IV, saw to it that the citizens offered the heathen sacrifices. In the obscure village of Modin, an aged priest named Mattathias refused to offer a heathen sacrifice when asked to by Antiochus IV's agent. When another Jew volunteered to offer the sacrifice, Mattathias killed him and the agent. He then tore down the altar and proclaimed, let everyone who is zealous for the law and supports the covenant come out with me. This is in, recorded in 1 Maccabees, one of the books of the Apocrypha and predicted in Daniel. Mattathias, his five sons, uh, John, Simon, Judas, Eleazar, Jonathan, and we pick up on several of these here, three of them later on, and many followers fled to the mountains. Uh, this marked the beginning of the Maccabean Revolt. Uh, the Hasidim, uh, we talked about them earlier. This is a Hebrew word for pious or holy, so there are, there is a, there's always been a group who has opposed this Hellenization of Judaism. They want to remain faithful to the Torah and the law. This, uh, these Hasidim, a religious group within Judaism with a great passion for the law of God, joined Mattathias in his struggle against Hellenization. And so uh, these Maccabeans waged war against uh, Antiochus, they used guerrilla warfare. They would go into the mountains, come down, attack, you know, it's hard to defeat them. Um, they waged war even against other Jews who complied with Antiochus's degree, decrees. And so these uh, Maccabeans, these Mattathias and his sons, they would tear down uh, these heathen altar, altars that Antiochus had erected and they would circumcise Jewish children who had not been circumcised, and they exhorted Jews everywhere to join them in this crusade. Now, Mattathias himself, the priest, died in 166, and his third son, remember he has uh, uh, these five sons, his third son, Judas, becomes the leader of this rebellion. Um, I want to just mention this particular uh, map here because I've been talking about the Seleucids uh, there, that's the dynasty, but the geographical area is commonly called Syria. That's what the Greeks call it. So we talk about Syria or the Seleucid Empire. And so you'll see me use the name Syria. I'm talking about the Seleucid Empire or what's left of it. Uh, and you can see they're controlling uh, they're controlling uh, Palestine here. Here's the Nabataeans. We'll talk about the Nabataeans, and I'll just point this out because this is an area controlled by uh, an Arab group. These are uh, Arab ethnic Arabs that form the kingdom of Nabataea. They come into play here and in the New Testament with the Apostle Paul, actually, later on. <clears throat> but um, so I just want to point out this 
uh, Syrian uh, name because I'm going to be using that uh, quite a bit here. So Judas Maccabeus takes over from his father, Mattathias, in 166. Um, Judas uh, was called Maccabeus from the Hebrew word meaning hammer. So uh, that's how it, G Judas the hammer. And uh, that's where you get the name Maccabean, the Maccabean revolt. When I first came to Detroit um, years ago, I was, I was, it's interesting because I was driving up um, uh, the Lodge Freeway and up to Northwestern Highway and there was a building there um, called the uh, Maccabee Center. You could see it from the, uh, from the interstate there, from the lodge, you could see it said Maccabee's building, Maccabee Center. <clears throat> and uh, I just noticed the last couple years, they've renamed that uh, the Century Building, I think they call it. And so sometimes around Detroit, you'll see the name Maccabean or Maccabees. There's a building down in Detroit that was called the Maccabees Building. That's where some radio and TV broadcasting was done. It's actually on the campus of Wayne State University. It's sometimes called the Wayne Tower, but originally it was the Maccabees Building. So you'll see that name. I've seen it on various things around Detroit. Well, Judas Maccabeus, uh, as I say here, uh, proved to be the terror of his enemies and the pride of his nation. Under him, the Maccabean struggle went from guerrilla warfare to well-planned battles. He won many volunteers to fight for freedom when he defeated various Syrian governors. So the Syrians uh, were battling and some of their leaders, their governors of various areas were fighting these Maccabeans. Judas also had to battle Hellenistic Jews who tended to favor the Syrians. So some Jews were happy with these developments with Hellenism. Um, in 164, he captured Jerusalem. Um, because um, uh, the uh, Antiochus in 167 had, uh, from last time, if you remember, but in 167, when Antiochus was so upset about not getting Egypt, he came back to Palestine and he offered a pig on the altar there in the temple in Jerusalem, swine, and uh, Three years later, exactly three years after that desecration, the temple was rededicated on the 25th of Kislev. Uh, remember, we're using the Jewish calendar here. So it was three years exactly later, which is our December the 14th, with an eight-day feast that has come to be known as Hanukkah. Hanukkah, uh, which means dedication. It's sometimes also called the Feast of Dedication are the Feast of Lights. And so Jews today, uh, they celebrate, uh, they celebrate the Old Testament feasts, you know, Passover, uh, the New Year, and so forth, Pentecost, but they also celebrate some feast like Purim from the Book of Esther, and they celebrate Hanukkah, which is not in the Old Testament, but is a tradition from the Maccabean Revolt. And it's an eight day kind of thing. And uh, they have this uh, nine um, candle stick or used, was oil lamp. What's that? Nine, uh, nine uh, candlestick uh, menorah. 
um, and you see the center of it is usually larger than the other four. And so you, you start with a light in the center and each day or each evening you light another uh, one of these candles for eight days. Now there's different traditions about this. Some, you know, some do it every day, some all at once, but one, tradi one common tradition is to light one every day um, of the eight days. And so this always corresponds to Christmas time, our Christmas time. You'll hear discussions when we have get in December about when is Hanukkah this year? Well, it rotates. Occasionally it starts on the 25th of December, like we do, but it, it rotates because they're on a lunar calendar. The Jewish New Year's on a Jewish calendar is on a lunar calendar. So it rotates. And, uh, and they, this has become really commercialized because of how Christmas has become commercialized. So, you know, this is like the Jewish answer to Christmas in a sense. And so uh, Jewish children, Jewish people often get gifts all eight days. It's becoming practice to give them money or to, uh, you know, give them a gift for eight days. So it's, you know, it's not like we Christians who just get a gift one, one day. This is, you know, eight days. Now, I started not to mention this tonight because I was afraid Pansy would want to convert to Judaism when she heard about these eight days of gifts, but uh, we'll try to keep her from that. But it is kind of interesting that uh, this has become quite commercialized uh, over the years. And so Judas is the, the famous leader of the Maccabean, Judas Maccabeus. And notice his date there of 160, he is uh, killed in a battle with the Syrians in 160. So there's constant battling going on for years and years and years and years. Uh, a temporary peace was established with Syria for a while. And what we're showing here on this particular map is the territory that the Maccabees and eventually the Jews eventually gained for themselves. And it starts here uh, with this uh, greenish uh, area here, Judea, Mark Judea here. So this is the area that Judas sort of conquered and the Maccabeans sort of conquered. And what we'll see as we go along, the, the Maccabeans, the Hasmoneans, uh, gain more and more territory. They, can, they continue to be successful in their revolt against um, the Syrians or the Seleucid dynasty. But this is sort of the area that Judas uh, got control of, at least temporarily. So uh, after his death, uh, uh, his brother Jonathan, who was the youngest son, uh, became the leader. The Hellenists who supported Syria had regained temporary control after Judas's death. So remember, I'm, I'm not telling you all the details here, but Judas kind of established that territory. But then the Hellenists, uh, they gained control over these Hasidim or the Maccabeans. They sort of took control. But Jonathan gained increasing power by diplomacy. Now, Jonathan and Judas and his father, they're very conservative. We might say orthodox. They're part of the Hasidim uh, pure, you know, movement, very orthodox movement. Well, he gained power by diplomacy. He played Syria and Rome against each other until he was named high priest and governor of Judea. So Rome is, is on the advance here. Rome is 
Rome's getting ready to take over this area, but it's a hundred years from now, but they'll eventually take over this area, but they're, they're, they're moving through the Mediterranean. And so they're a powerful nation and Syria's powerful. They're, they're the big powers. And so Jonathan kind of plays them off against each other until he gets these alliances and so forth. The Roman Senate uh, named Jonathan, the quote, friend of, Ju uh, the, they, they named themselves, I'm sorry, the friend of Judea. They said, Rome is the friend of Judea. So this is like a political alliance. This is like the United States casting its shadow, you know, and we have NATO in Europe so that, you know, uh, we're guaranteeing this, the survival of those NATO nations if anybody should invade them. And so this is what Rome did. They said, you know, don't mess with Judea here. But uh, that didn't last long. Uh, they continue to battle the Syrians and Jonathan himself in 143 BC is killed uh, in a battle by a Syrian general. But you can see uh, the um, little yellow area here, not much more, but this area here and this area here. This is the area that Jonathan gained uh, in his time as the leader of the uh, Jews. So they have a little more territory here, but not too much more. That brings us to the Hasmonean period, the Hasmonean period. Um, this is Simon, 143 to 134. Simon, the second oldest son of Mattathias, succeeded his younger brother, Jonathan. So you've got Judas, uh, and then you've got Jonathan, and now you have Simon, the second oldest. He becomes the leader of the Maccabean uh, revolt and leader of the, of the Jews. Uh, he succeeded his younger brother, Jonathan, and he gained independence from Syria in 142. So he kind of, at least for a time, pushed off their control completely. Uh, these world powers are gaining power, losing power, and he can't, gains a little bit of independence, uh, the Jews do, in 142. The yoke of the Gentiles over Israel had been removed for the first time since the Babylonian captivity, and Judah's Judea's political independence meant they could write their own documents and treaties. Simon made a peace treaty with Rome and Sparta, which guaranteed freedom of worship for the Jews. So they wouldn't be uh, facing this constant threat of Hellenization, at least uh, by outside powers. Now there's still a lot of people, Jewish people who are for this kind of modernizing this Hellenization. Uh, Commemorating Simon's achievement, the Jews in 140 BC made him leader and high priest forever. So now we have in one person, both the political and the religious. And this kind of explains, this is, we're gonna see this continue. And this kind of explains when we get to the New Testament, we see the high priest, a religious leader has a lot of political power. Uh, he's a religious, a religious leader, but he, he, he's given a lot of power over the Jews uh, in Israel. Uh, and there is a Rome, there are Roman governors there, but they often defer to the high priest and the Sanhedrin and so forth, confer with them and so on. So this begins here with uh, Simon being made leader and high priest forever. The high priesthood was made hereditary with him and his descendants, thus establishing a new dynasty known as the Hasmoneans a name thought to be derived from an ancestor of the Maccabeans. We don't know exactly 
where this name came from, but it's thought to be some sort of ancestral name. And so this is called the, the now, now this group that's uh, leading Israel, leading Judea, Judea is called the Hasmoneans. Uh, so he, uh, he gains this independence, but now he faces internal conflicts. He and two of his sons, um, uh, he and two of his sons uh, are murdered by an ambitious son-in-law named Ptolemy in 135. You can see his dates, 143 to 135. Uh, Ptolemy tried to gain power by killing his other son, his third son, who's named John Hyrcanus, but Hyrcanus escapes and he becomes the, the leader of the people. Now here's the map again with uh, Simon, uh, with uh, Simon's area here. So we've got, uh, we've got this um, green area here. We've got this little blue area here for Jonathan. We got the yellow area here which is, you know, so we've got, we've got these blue. So this, this is expanding now. They're getting more territory here. You can kind of follow that there. So this is expanding. They're gaining, becoming a larger uh, country, nation in a sense now, and they have some independence. Well, that brings us to uh, John Hyrcanus. John Hyrcanus succeeded his father as high priest and ruler of the people. Before long, he had, he had trouble because Antiochus VII, the Syrian ruler, asserted his claim over Judea and seized Joppa, ravaging the land and besieging Jerusalem for more than a year. Now, remember, we've been talking about the Seleucids, and they have this, all their kings are named Antiochus. Antiochus III, we talked about Antiochus IV, uh, who in 164, you know, uh, offered that swine pig on the altar at Jerusalem and started the Maccabean revolt. This is now Antiochus VII. They're still, still going on here with that dynastic name. So he's, he's not happy with what's happening. He wants to reassert claim over Judea, over this authority. And he does. He ravages Jerusalem. Judea was once again under foreign control. Um, and so, um, this is what we're uh, talking about here. We're talking about uh, this area here. And I say, um, um, uh, let's see if I can find it here. Uh, the Syrian empire uh, fell, excuse me, Judea was again under foreign control. Eventually Antiochus died in a battle against the Parthians in 128 BC. So I was, I didn't read that last sentence here. Uh, so Judea is under foreign control. Antiochus, however, has to fight the Parthians. And I was going to show you this. Uh, the Parthians are another people, another ethnic people out here uh, in the ancient Near East, as you can see. Uh, we've had the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, you know. And now they're rising and becoming more powerful. And we'll be talking about them some because even the Romans have to fight the Parthians. And uh, this uh, map is showing how they gain territory. This is the Seleucid Empire, but they begin carving up the Seleucid Empire. So this area right here, I don't know if you can see these stripes that are going this way, these stripes. Uh, 
they take that territory in 170 BC. And then the area with the dots here, they get that in 145, this area. And then they come all the way over here by 140. So the Seleucid Empire is reduced to just this area here. You know, that's, that's what's left of it here because they're battling the Parthians all the time. And so uh, John Hyrcanus is helped out here uh, by the Parthians, uh, as I say. Uh, the Assyrian Empire went in decline and John Hyrcanus regained his independence. So for a while he was being besieged by, this, by the Syrians, but Hyrcanus again got his independence. There's a lot of battles and stuff going on here, as you might imagine. Hyrcanus renewed the, the alliance with Rome, whereby Rome confirmed his independence and warned Syria against any intervention into Hyrcanus's territory. He was able to expand his territory to include Samaria and Idumea. Uh, now, when Hyrcanus, um, uh, when he uh, uh, expanded his territory to include Idumea, that's south of Judea, that's the Greek name for Edom, the Old Testament Edom, he compelled all these Idumeans to be circumcised. And so we'll be talking about the Idumeans because Herod the Great is ethnically an Idumean. But he, his father was circumcised. He was circumcised because he's really sort of a Jew. So they're circumcising these people and forcing them to become Jews, making them adopt the Jewish religion. Um, this had great significance uh, for the Jew, for it was from this people that Herod the Great was to come. Two parties emerged during this period, the conservative Hasidim involved into the Pharisees and the Hellenists into the Sadducees. So what's the first mention that we know of of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? We see them in the New Testament. They're fully developed. Well, they come during this period of John Hyrcanus. Now, they were around before because the Hasidim are part of this religious movement that opposes Hellenism they evolved into what becomes the Pharisees. The Hellenists, these Jews who want this modernization, they evolved into what we call the Sadducees. Now, we'll be talking later about these groups and what they believe and their differences and so forth a little later on. Um, so um, this is Hyrcanus here, and this is his... Uh, kind of orangey color. So he takes Samaria here, Samaria, and over here, and Idumea. Here's Idumea down here. And this is where Herod the Great is ultimately from, who's ultimately gonna become king of this whole area. He's not ethnically a Jew, but he is a Jew in the sense that he was circumcised and he is outwardly at least following the Jewish religion. So uh, John Hyrcanus gains this independence, uh, a greater independence from uh, Syria, recognized by Rome and so forth. So the Hellenists, these Hellenists who had supported Syria, uh, no longer opposed uh, the Hasmoneans anymore. So these Hellenists uh, who had opposed the Maccabean revolt, had opposed the the uh, Maccabeans had opposed the Hasmoneans. Uh, 
because they wanted this modernization and the Maccabeans were Pharisees in a sense, they were Hasidim. They didn't oppose them anymore because now Syria recognized the Jewish state. Technically, they were, they were not at war with Judea anymore. And so uh, there was peace between them for the most part. And so the Hasmoneans sort of gave up, the, I mean, I'm sorry, the Hellenists sort of gave up their opposition to the Hasmoneans. Now, another thing to develop here is Hyrcanus, John Hyrcanus, uh, he started as a Pharisee or as a Hasidim, just like all the Maccabeans. But over time, these rulers, these Maccabeans, become more acceptance of Hellenistic culture and values and so forth. And so Hyrcanus uh, started as a Pharisee, but he switched to the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees are still Jews and so forth, but they're not the conservative, most conservative Jews. So he starts as a Pharisee, but he becomes a Sadducee uh, after the Pharisees become disenchanted with him. The Pharisees become disenchanted because they think he's becoming too secular, and he is becoming more secular than his, uh, the previous rulers had. And uh, they think, you know, he's the high priest and the ruler of the people. The high priest should be a very religious man, a very conservative man. He should be following the law and all that. Well, Hyrcanus is um, much more secular, too secular for them. And so uh, this, this marks a period where the Hasmonean dynasty switches over really to the Sadducean party from the Pharisees. Uh, Hyrcanus had a fairly peaceful reign after that. He ruled for 31 years. He died peacefully in 104, and he left uh, five sons. That brings us to Aristobulus I. Uh, he's the oldest son of Hyrcanus and a ruthless Hellenist. So <laughs> now these uh, Maccabeans who started this, who were very pious, very conservative, Hasmoneans, they have adopted <laughs> the culture that they were rebelling against. It's kind of interesting in a sense. And so uh, he's a ruthless Hellenist, and he prefers his Greek name, Aristobulus, to his Hebrew one, Judah. Now, this is a trend that's going to continue right through the New Testament period. That is, Jews, Hebrews, uh, will often give their children a Greek name as well as a Hebrew name, a Gentile name as well as a Hebrew name. And you see this throughout the New Testament. John, who's also called Mark, you know, um, one of Paul's companions and the writer of the Gospel of Mark. He has a, a Hebrew name, but he has Marcus, a Gentile name. Simeon called Niger, Jesus called Justice. This is not Jesus Christ. Jesus was a common name in the first century because it's the Greek name, the, the Hebrew equivalent of uh, a, a Greek way of spelling Joshua. Saul and Paul is a, a great example. So Jews would often give their, their Hebrew children a Gentile name that sounded a lot like their Hebrew name, Saul and Paul, very, very similar. So you'll see this, we'll see this throughout the New Testament, that people have now accepted this idea of a Hebrew name and a Gentile name. 
So Aristobulus was was a very strong uh, Hellenist. I'll say here, uh, Hyrcanus had wanted his wife uh, to head the civil government while his eldest son, Aristobulus I, would be high priest. So uh, Hyrcanus wanted his wife to, to, to run the political power, be the political power, and his son, Aristobulus, he would be just the high priest. Disagreeing, Aristobulus imprisoned his mother, who died of starvation, and imprisoned all his brothers except Antigonus, who shared his rule until Aristobulus had him killed. Aristobulus conquered Galilee and compelled the inhabitants to be circumcised. Again, just like Idumea. So here is Aristobulus here um, in the pinkish color here. So Idumea has been conquered. Samaria, the Samaritans were already circumcised uh, and uh, they consider themselves the real Jews. We'll talk about them. He compelled the, uh, the Idumeans to be circumcised, the Galileans to be circumcised and so forth to become in a sense part of the Jewish religion. Even though he is not a uh, very orthodox guy, Aristobulus, um, this is just part of being uh, part of Judea, being part of the Jewish nation, being part of this nation is uh, you're, you're, you have to be circumcised. Now, Aristobulus is the first Hasmonean to call himself king. So before these people had adopted, they had taken on the role of leader of the people and high priest. But now Aristobulus calls himself king and high priest. <clears throat> well, this even made the Pharisees, Pharisees even madder at him. He's first of all, he's a Sadducee, but <clears throat> they, they're very upset at him because he's not in the line of David. So he's not really in the kingly line of David. So he shouldn't be calling himself uh, king. His predecessors had only called themselves high priest and not king. That brings us to Alexander Unias. Alexander Unias. Um, Aristobulus died in 103 BC. The circumstances of his death are a little unclear. Uh, the, the some, <laughs> some say he died of a of stricken conscience of what he had done. It's hard to know. Uh, Alexander Unias, uh, 103 to 76 BC. So when uh, Aristobulus died, his widow, uh, Salome Alexandra released his three brothers from prison. One of them, 13 years younger than her, she appointed as king and high priest and subsequently married him. His Hebrew name was Jonathan, but he went by his Greek name, Alexander Yanias, as he was a thoroughgoing Hellenist. He expanded uh, the kingdom until it was nearly the size of David and Solomon's. And Yanias continued his father's opposition to the Pharisees. So now we come to the last part of this and all this territory now is under the control of Judea, um, of, of Israel, of Judea here, the Jews and uh, everything. So they have reconquered and so now it's pretty much the size of, of Solomon and David, as we say here. 
Um, so the Pharisees are pretty upset with him, with his father and with him. And so uh, they, want, they want to punish him. They want to punish Alexander Yanias. And so they decide to, uh, to ha seek an alliance with the Syrians. The Syrians are always eager to try to get back in the game, try to regain some territory here. And the Pharisees say, listen, we'll help you defeat Yanias, Alexander Yanias. And so they supplied 6,000 soldiers to the Syrians and uh, they joined the Syrians and they defeated uh, in a battle, a key battle, they defe defeated Alexander Yanias' forces. But then they started having second thoughts. They thought, you know, this could be bad because if the Syrians come down and take Jerusalem and take Judea, you know, they're probably never going to give it back. <laughs> so what do we do? Should we, should we be ruled by a tyrannical Jew or should we be ruled by the Syrians? And so they were more fearful of the Syrians, so they decided to switch sides. They joined Yanias, uh, Alexander Yanias, and his forces, and they defeated the Syrians. Well, <laughs> Alexander Yanias, he repaid the Pharisees by crucifying 800 of their leaders, crucifying 800 of the Pharisees' leaders while they watched their wives and children being killed in front of them. What a barbaric kind of action uh, we see going on in these kinds of times. That brings us to Alexandra. Um, I say here, on his deathbed, Alexander Unias appointed his wife, Salome Alexandra, as his successor. She selected their eldest son, Hyrcanus II, as high priest, and his brother, Aristobulus, as military commander. Now, so she wanted to split up the power here before they had been combined as Alexander Unias with both high priest and military commander. He was king, called himself king. Alexander Unias had advised Alexander to make peace with the Pharisees somehow or another, since they control the mass of the people. She did so. Her brother, Simon ben Shatak, was the Pharisees' leader. This marked the revival of the Pharisaic influence. Aristobulus, however, sided with the Sadducees. So Hyrcanus was the high priest, and he was going along with the Pharisees. But uh, Aristobulus didn't like that. He sided with the Sadducees. Alexandra did her best to keep her, uh, both brothers at bay so that they did not come into open conflict with each other. And she was able to do that pretty much. Her reign was marked by peace, both at home and abroad. Um, under the presidency of her brother, uh, Simon Shatak, um, Simon ben Shatak, the Sanhedrin decreed that every young man should be educated, every young man throughout the land. And so they set up uh, a system of education to educate young men in the Old Testament scriptures. They had a system that was installed in towns and villages and cities throughout Judea uh, of education, which was a very good thing, really. That brings us then to Hyrcanus II. Upon the death of his mother, Hyrcanus became king and priest 
she had named him as uh, her successor upon her death. Um, I think she was a little afraid of her other son, Aristobulus. And so uh, she named Hyrcanus as her, uh, as her, as both king and high priest. Well, that didn't work out too well. <clears throat> uh, uh, let's come to number seven here, Aristobulus II. Um, you can see that Hyrcanus, 67 to 66, he's king and high priest, but then Aristobulus. Just three months into Hyrcanus's reign, Aristobulus declared war on his brother. Hyrcanus surrendered and was forced to relinquish his position as king and high priest to Aristobulus in return from public life. Aristobulus was a pretty good military guy. Hyrcanus was rather Hyrcanus was rather weak, so he he didn't want to fight. He couldn't. He didn't have the the, the power and the, the the determination to fight his brother. So he just said he would retire from public life. And Aristobulus then becomes the leader in sixty six. Um, I say here, Hyrcanus was willing to accept this, but Antipater the father of Herod the Great, appointed governor of Idumea by Alexander Yanias, had other plans for him. So let's remember this name, Antipater. He's the father of Herod the Great. He's, a, he's an Idumean. But remember, the Idumeans had been conquered and forced to be circumcised. Well, Antipater had other plans. He himself... Uh, could not be high priest because he was an Idumean. Again, I just remind you that uh, map down here where Idumea is. This is going to come into play with Herod the Great. And uh, so he's interested in exerting his power and so forth, but he can't become um, high priest uh, because he is an Idumean. Antipater convinced uh, Hyrcanus. Um, he convinced Hyrcanus uh, that Aristobulus unlawfully took the throne, that Hyrcanus was the legitimate king, and that Hyrcanus's life was in danger. Antipater persuaded Hyrcanus to seek the help of Eretus III of Nabatea to regain his position. Uh, Eretus and his Nabatean Arabs invaded Palestine and besieged Jerusalem with Aristobulus uh, inside. I'm just showing you again that map of Nabatea here in this area here. Now this is not Syria anymore, but that's the area of Nabatea right outside here in the uh, southeastern desert area down here. So uh, with the aid of the, of the Nabataeans, Hyrcanus um, uh, invades and they uh, besieged Jerusalem. Now, this conflict between uh, Alexandra's sons, Aristobulus and Hyrcanus, this provokes Rome's intervention. Remember I said, they're coming this way. They're moving toward the east in the Mediterranean. And we'll look uh, and see how they did this uh, next time. But uh, they're coming this way, and they're interested in trying to stabilize this area. They don't want all this fighting going on. They want a more stable place. 
And so they're deciding, they're moving into Syria. Syria had become weak over time. The Seleucid dynasty is failing and so forth. So the Romans send the Roman general Pompey, General Pompey, was sent to the area. And so he's up in Syria, and Hyrcanus and Aristobulus appeal to him. They're trying to get him on their side. Um, and so uh, Pompey sends his military tribune, kind of one of his second in commands, uh, to look over this situation and so forth. And uh, he doesn't take a side immediately. But then Pompey arrives on the scene, and he assigns, he, he, uh, he sides with Hyrcanus. He thinks he's more loyal to uh, Rome. So here's Pompey. He's up in Damascus up here. He's in Syria. He's looking at the situation, what to do. He eventually comes down to Judea, and he ultimately um, sides with Hyrcanus. He thinks Hyrcanus is going to be more loyal to Rome, and so that's what he does. Uh, I say here, Pompey entered the Holy of Holies, but he did not disturb it. In fact, he ordered its cleansing. He also ordered the resumption of sacrifices. Hyrcanus was reinstated as high priest. Aristobulus resisted, but was easily defeated. Aristobulus, his two daughters, and two sons were taken to Rome as prisoners of war. So uh, this is uh, Pompey coming down uh, in 63 BC, and uh, Rome is now really exerting its power and taking over uh, this particular area. Uh, this really, uh, and remember this name Antigonus, I said here that I say uh, Antigonus. Uh, Aristobulus, his two daughters and two sons, I didn't mention, but one of his sons is named Antigonus, and he's going to come back. He's going to escape from prison, from Rome, and eventually come back and try to reassert himself. We'll see that next week. But this marks the end of the 79 years of the Jewish nation's independence. Uh, they gain independence, the Maccabean revolt, and so forth, gained all this territory back, but now Rome has come, Pompey has come, and they are now just a vassal. Hyrcanus is put in as high priest. Pompey installs Hyrcanus as high priest uh, uh, because he thinks he's more loyal to Rome. But really, uh, this area, now they're just a vassal to the Roman Empire. They're no longer independent. Rome is now exerting control over this entire area. Okay, uh, next time we want to look at uh, what happened with Rome coming in, Herod the Great and all that, and plus I want to just kind of get us up to speed on R Rome. How did Rome get here <laughs> all of a sudden? Where did they come from and how did they become a world power? So let me, uh, let me stop sharing this screen. And uh...